Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi. I was wondering if we should take out the annoying teams at Pub Quiz part for the <laughs> duration of this quarantine but yeah yeah uh, we'll you know what? people have come to to expect a certain yeah it's comforting our phrase yeah 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 if we're nothing if not comforting and uh we did something very i mean i found it very comforting last night uh you and i and a couple of our friends shout out to jessica and ebony um we got together on zoom and we watched our favorite movie mm-hmm. uh go ahead I was going to say we should say it at the same time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ready? Magic, Magic Mike, Mike XXL. XXL. Yeah. <laughs> Don't like worry. said it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll edit it so it comes out at the same time. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's fine. That's the magic of, of audio. Uh, yeah. It was... Um, guys, I know times are tough right now, but I would highly recommend getting together with some friends. And just all at the same time watching Magic Mike XXL. Mm-hmm. It's here's it's why. comforting. Yes. It makes you not think about your current situation. Exactly. You There's lots of things to appreciate in it. Oh, absolutely. No matter who you're into. Yes. No matter who you're into, regard gender, sexuality, expression, all of that. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what? I can appreciate every little bit Plenty of this. Plenty of stuff to... Plenty of stuff to enjoy. Beauty. Yes. Beauty. Just beauty in its purest form. <laughs> it was fun. We had a great time. I drank an entire bottle of Mousseau. Uh, <laughs> and Steve watched it with us and he loved it. That's great. Because usually yeah. he hates movies we like. <laughs> <laughs> well, there wasn't any. there wasn't anybody... Possibly getting in trouble, or <laughs> I think we've given him like enough lead up about this movie that he was comfortable with it. There have been so many times where Lauren and, and Josh and Steve and I have gone to the movies and we've come out, and Steve has been like entirely perplexed. Like he thought <laughs> I Tanya was a documentary, was very confused about that. Uh, we went to see Logan Lucky and had been like talk hyping it up for like two weeks, like how excited we were about this heist at the NASCAR arena. And he was like, I had no idea NASCAR would be playing such a big role in this film. Like, <laughs> yeah, he was like, I didn't care for it. I didn't really understand what was going on. It's like, you're an intelligent man who is not unfamiliar with like narrative structure. <laughs> I don't understand why he's just like, "Ah, it's just not for me. Like we came out of Itan and we were like, oh my gosh, like Alice and Janney, she was so amazing. And he was like, wait, those aren't, that wasn't the people. I was like, yeah, at the end they showed like the interviews of the real people next to the actors. And he was like, I just thought, I don't know. I just thought, why are they playing this again? (laughs) All right. All right. All right. That's enough. Anyway. Now that we're now that we've thoroughly trashed my husband on our on our international podcast, it's just an endearing quality of his. Is yes, all. it is. It's an endearing quality. We're never gonna all like the same movie. Yeah. <laughs> and now sometimes, like when we're watching something, I'll anticipate him not understanding something, mm-hmm. and then I'll be a real like I'll be like, "This is this guy. He's um he's the dad of the other guy," and he'll look at me like, "I get it. Like, like stop. Leave me alone." 
Oh, um, they're asking you if you... <laughs> this is this is a different person. Do you understand? Like this is a different guy. <laughs> He's like, shut up, leave me alone. <laughs> but you didn't have to do any such thing with with the glorious uh, Magic Mike XXL. No, I had to do some very brief, like, oh, you know, the, what happened in the first movie? Because yeah. in the, the first like two scenes make yeah. some very vague references to the first movie. But you really don't need to watch By the first the way, movie. Again, it's not guys, as good. You don't have to watch the first movie. No, you do not. In fact, I recommend you don't. Yeah. It's kind of depressing. Yeah. There's some really like it takes a it takes an intense turn that you're yeah. like, I thought this movie was about dancers. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize it was about drug use and loss yeah. so much. Yeah. Jesus. No such that again, the second one is just oh. so good. A ray of light. Wonderful honestly. music. Mm. The soundtrack. They're alone. very funny. Although oh, I will say hilarious. that my least, probably my least favorite line in cinema <laughs> <laughs> happens during this movie when they're on, they're on the truck. Cause it's, it's basically for all intents and purposes, a road trip movie. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, they're, they, they're going to the, to the big convention mm-hmm. is, is the goal is the end goal. And they're in the yeah. food truck on the way um, that they're driving up through Florida and someone is mad that Channing Tatum is still on his phone. So they take his phone and they chuck it out the window. And then Adam Rodriguez's character goes, iPhone went by phone. <laughs> it's so bad. It's almost, it's for the movie that I love more than anything. It is truly like the dregs of writing. Like, you know that the writer of that movie was like, hey, yeah, iPhone went by phone. And then like, and they kept it yeah they kept it they're like no nope (laughs) that line read i need it to be delivered clearly we're gonna do we're gonna loop it so that you can get get some clarity on it Uh, oh great movie yeah we recommend we recommend yeah getting on a zoom call a conference call Mm -hmm. with friends you just put yourselves on mute you all start the movie at the same time and then when you have a comment unmute yourself and and shout it into the computer <laughs> it's great <laughs> it's great uh, uh, so anyway anyway we are this is a podcast about trivia so i guess we should get to it yeah i guess yeah uh so so my topic today actually came to me in like my 3 a.m sleeplessness oh wow. i was really excited for this the the title came to me and uh and the topic too. And you know what? It goes along well with what we have been talking about today, kind of. Um, to this episode is called Come With Me and Escape, all about capes. Now, all right. when I'm talking capes, I am talking uh, geo- geographic terms today. Sure. Um, not the clothing type. Although it would be yeah. funny if you then did a clothing episode on capes. I don't <laughs> ah, know what, damn. I don't know how much there is to say, but there really um, isn't a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now. It's like opera capes, uh, <laughs> costume capes, the end. <laughs> Ponchos, Dra- maybe. Dracula capes. Pon- Yes. Yeah, that's true. With the high collar. Yeah. yeah. Done. We just did it. So. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. So I have more. I have more. So 
In geography, a cape is a headland or promontory of large size extending into a body of water, typically the sea. So a cape usually represents a marked change in the trend of the coastline, which kind of makes this um, this landform prone to natural forms of erosion a lot, a lot of the ways by the tide. So this results in capes having a relatively short geological lifespan. Um, oh. Capes can be formed by glaciers, volcanoes, or changes in sea level. And again, erosion plays a large role in each of these methods of formation. So the difference between a cape and a peninsula, um, a mm. cape mm-hmm. is connected to the mainland by a larger mass of land than a peninsula, which is connected by a thin land mass. So basically a peninsula could almost be considered, it's almost an island. Like it's surrounded oh. by water on three sides and then is connected to the mainland by, um, by a little bit of land. But a cape is bordered by water on two sides. Okay. And it like I juts see. out into the body of water. So mm-hmm. I just kind of want to talk about some of the important ones, you know? Let's do it. Um, yes, so I'm in. We'll start with North America. So Cape Spear is the easternmost point in Canada and North America. It's a headland located on the Avalon Peninsula of Newfoundland near St. John's in the Canadian province of Newfoundland and Labrador. So the Portuguese named this location Cabo de Esperanza, meaning Cape of Hope, which became Cap de Spoir in French, and then in oh. English, Cape Spear. Okay, I see it now. Uh-huh. So that's the easternmost point in Canada and North America. Um, to go to the northernmost point of Canada, that's Cape Columbia. It's located on Ellesmere Island in the in a region of Nunavut that is spelled Q I K. I-Q-T-A-A-L-U-K. I don't want to offend anybody by trying to pronounce <laughs> that myself, um, but just know that Cape Columbia is located on Ellesmere Island in Nunavut. So that is the westernmost coastal point of the Lincoln Sea in the Arctic Ocean, and it is the world's northernmost point of land outside of Greenland. Um, oh, wow. The distance to the North Pole from Cape Columbia is about 470 miles. Oh, that's not far so at all. Way up there. Yeah. Yeah. Cape yeah. Columbia, northernmost point of land in Canada. You have um, also in Canada, Cap Diamant. It's a cape on an edge of the promontory of Quebec, on which Quebec City is located. Oh. Mm-hmm. So it's formed by a confluence of a bend in the St. Lawrence River to the south and east and the much smaller St. Charles River to the north. So Jacques Cartier, the French explorer who found glittering stones in the high cliff there, thought that these mm. stones contained diamonds. And after he brought samples of these back to France in 1542, experts concluded that these diamonds were actually quartz. So mm. there is a proverb in Canada or in France sometimes, faux comme un diamant du Canada is fake or as false as a Canadian diamond. Oh, man. I bet the Canadians love <laughs> that. Yes. Yeah, so this is an example of a cape that is located in a river. Um, okay. Cap Diamant. It's um, Quebec City is on it. I didn't realize. That's cool. Yeah. Now moving back down to one that we've all heard of. Cape Cod. Mm-hmm. Of course. So that's our geographic cape extending into the... Yeah, Lauren made an elbow. She... Um, Pumped her fist up, showing her elbow, because that's how you signify where you are on Cape Cod. Mm -hmm. So that's um, in the Atlantic Ocean from the southeast corner of mainland Massachusetts. Um, Its historic maritime character and ample beaches attract heavy tourism during the summer months, obviously. Um, To the south of Cape Cod is Nantucket Sound, Nantucket, and Martha's Vineyard, which are 
you know, two nicely sized islands. Um, mm-hmm. And there's also the privately owned Elizabeth Islands within that region. So most of the Elizabeth Islands are privately owned. So you'll have a bajillionaire owns his own island there in the Nantucket Sound. Um, I'm sorry. If you are rich enough to own an entire island in the United States, like you own an island, you are too rich. I'm sorry. An island that you can drive a car on. Let's go ahead and um, yeah. and qualify that. Because don't the Thousand Islands region in New York State, aren't there, like some of the islands are very small there, right? Yeah. Some of the islands are like basically like a rock outcropping yeah. of... It's- the river. If you have electricity and a car on your own island in America. Yes. Yes. Then you are too rich. <laughs> <laughs> We've said it. Yes. So you heard it here first, yep. folks. I don't know. We're controversial. Um, <laughs> so Cape Cod is actually one of the biggest barrier islands in the world. It shields much of the Massachusetts coastline from North American storm waves. Um, and Cape Cod was among the first places settled by the English in North America. So a few other extra info tidbits about Cape Cod. Um, Guglielmo Marconi made the first transatlantic wireless transmission originating in the U.S. from Cape Cod at Wellfleet in 1903. So um, he set up a wireless station there and then had been doing some little bit of transmitting within Massachusetts and within the United States. But the first transatlantic radio transmission was from Cape Cod to the U.K. in 1903. Um, the beach below the bluffs there where his station was located is now called Marconi Beach. In 1914, he began construction of a new transatlantic wireless receiver station in Chatham and a companion transmitter station in Marion. They're also on Cape Cod. And in 1920, the stations were acquired by RCA. And in 1921, the Chatham station began operations as a maritime radio station communicating to ships at sea using the call sign WCC. This station supported the communications of Amelia Earhart... Howard Hughes, Admiral Byrd, and also the Hindenburg. Get out. I didn't know that. All That's so cool. One little tiny station. Yeah. Oh, wow. Neat stuff. Um, also on Cape Cod, you have the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute. So it was founded in 1930. It's the largest independent oceanographic research institute in the U.S. And scientists and engineers from there travel the globe from the coast to the deepest depths to tackle questions ranging from climate change to oil spills and ocean acidification. Um, in September 1985, a joint French-American expedition led by Jean-Louis Michel of Ifremer and Robert Ballard of the Woods Hole Institute identified the location of the wreck of the RMS Titanic. Oh, cool. Yeah. Man. So they're a really cool, they're a really cool um, organization that's there. Lots of, lots Woods of cool hole. vessels and um, they, so they have underwater ones, they have some submarines, they have some, you know, above water ships. <laughs> you know all regular kinds of ass ships, regular I ass guess. ships yeah um so yeah a lot of cool stuff coming out of woods hole there that's cool and also just extra tidbit the cape cod or the cape codder is a type of cocktail consisting of vodka and cranberry juice mm-hmm. um cranberries are very big um up in massachusetts especially around yes. the plymouth area and in the cape cod region so that's why the cranberry juice drink comes from there hmm. okay another north american cape cape fear Oh, yeah, like mm-hmm. the movie. 
Yes, exactly like the movie. So <laughs> Cape Fear is a headland that juts into the Atlantic Ocean from Bald Head Island on the coast of North Carolina. It's formed by the intersection of two sweeping arcs of shifting low-lying beach that are the result of longshore currents that also form the frying pan shoals, which are part of the graveyard of the Atlantic. Man, this place sounds scary. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> there are more than 600 ships that are wrecked in this section what? of the land. Uh, or sorry, in this section of the ocean as victims of shallow shoals, storms, and war. That's the graveyard of the Atlantic. So wow. the, um, the name for Cape Fear comes from the 1585 expedition of Sir Richard Grenville. He was sailing to Roanoke Island and his ship became stuck behind the Cape. Some of the crew were afraid they would wreck, giving rise to the name Cape Fear. I see. But okay. interestingly, Cape Fear is the fifth oldest surviving English place name in the United States. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, isn't it? It's funny that we can like track that kind of thing, yeah. you know? Yeah, like you mentioned, the movie Cape Fear. Originally, the original film came out in 1962. Um, so that mm. was adapted by James R. Webb from the 1957 novel The Executioners by John D. McDonald. And the film concerns an attorney whose family is being stalked by a criminal he helped to send to jail. So that was a neo-noir psychological thriller starring Robert Mitchum, Gregory Peck, Martin Balsam, and Polly Bergen. It was remade in 1991 by Martin Scorsese, um, yes. starring like Robert De Niro as the the very scary criminal guy. Um, but three of the main actors from the 1962 version did appear in the remake. So that was kind of neat. Oh, that's but, cool. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's probably, if you don't vacation in the Outer Banks, that's probably how you've heard of Cape Fear is, is through the movie name. Yeah. Yeah, no, I have never uh, vacationed in the Outer Banks. Uh, well, you know, you're missing out. because Apparently. Because uh, there you also have Cape Hatteras. So oh. that's a bend in a thin, broken strand of islands in North Carolina that arch out into the Atlantic Ocean away from the U.S. mainland and back toward the mainland, creating a series of islands between the Outer Banks and the mainland. So for thousands of years, these barrier islands have survived onslaughts of wind and sea. Cape Hatteras is also the nearest landmass on the North American mainland to Bermuda, which is only about 648 miles or 563 nautical miles to the east or southeast. I wouldn't think cool. that... Bermuda was that far north, I guess. Yeah, but same. Well. All right, another one that we've heard of, Cape May. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's a peninsula and an island that's divided by a narrow channel. Um, it's the southern tip of the island is the southernmost point of the U.S. state of New Jersey. So the peninsula resides in Cape May County, runs southward from the New Jersey mainland, it separates Delaware Bay from the Atlantic Ocean. Cape May is named for Cornelius Jacobson May, spelled M-E-Y, who was a Dutch explorer working for the Dutch East India Company. Um, Cape May is apparently famous as one of the top birding sites in North America. Oh. And Cape May, New Jersey, the town, is one of the country's oldest vacation resort destinations. Um, the mm. entire city of Cape May is designated the Cape May Historic District, which is a national landmark due to its concentration of Victorian buildings. Oh, how nice. Mm, yes. We're going to head a little bit south and go to Cape Sable. So that's the southernmost point of the United States mainland and mainland Florida. It's located in southwestern Florida and is part of the Everglades National Park. Um, they have three prominent points there on Cape Sable. The East Cape, which is the actual southernmost point of Florida and the United States mainland. Um, it also is the location of Lake Ingram, which is the southernmost lake in the United States. There's oh, also okay. the Middle Cape, also known as Palm Point, and then the Northwest Cape. And Cape Sable has a lot of lakes and beaches and 
again, it's part of the Everglades National Park, so there's a lot of there's a lot of things down there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you've you've obviously been to Key West, which is like the real southernest like part of the United States yep. and mm-hmm. from the you know the continental U.S. But um, but this is the part of the mainland. This is the okay the actual yeah. southernmost point in the mainland. Um, but also in Florida, Cape Canaveral. Mm-hmm. So that's in um, Brevard County, Florida. It's near the center of the state's Atlantic coast. Um, this was actually known as Cape Kennedy from 1963 to 1973. And mm-hmm. it's part of a region known as the Space Coast. And yeah. it's the site of the Cape Canaveral Air Force Station. So since many U.S. spacecraft have been launched from both the station and the Kennedy Space Center on adjacent Merritt Island, the two are sometimes conflated with one another. Oh, okay. And so they're not the same thing. Um, Kennedy Space Center is, is on Merritt Island as opposed to Cape Canaveral. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in homage to its spacefaring heritage, the Florida Public Service Commission allocated area code 321, as in a launch countdown, to the Cape Canaveral area. Okay, that's cute. Yeah. Nice job. Cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, and other features of that cape include the Cape Canaveral Lighthouse and Port Canaveral, which is one of the busiest cruise ports in the world. Or, oh, I believe it, yeah. Or used to be one of the busiest cruise yeah. ports in the world. We'll see where 20, We'll see. We'll see where the future takes us (laughs) also i guess we'll see um in mexico you have cabo san lucas oh yes or something sometimes people just call it cabo um so that's a resort city at the southern tip of the baja california peninsula in the mexican state of baja california sur um cabo san lucas is known for its beaches scuba diving locations um in the sea arch el arco de cabo san lucas as very well as good its marine life. So that's um, <laughs> Cabo in Spanish means Cape in English. So if you see that, you means can figure cape. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, heading down to South America. Mm-hmm. Do you know? I know you hate when oh, I do boy. this. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I was going to say everybody else out there. Do you, can you picture a Cape in South America? And if you said Cape Horn, then you're right. So <laughs> Cape Horn is... Yeah, I would not have said yeah. Cape Horn. Cape Horn <laughs> is the southernmost headland of the Tierra del Fuego archipelago of southern Chile. And it's located on the small Ornos Island. So although it's not the most southerly point of South America, that's actually the Diego Ramirez Islands, um, Cape Horn marks the northern boundary of the Drake Passage and marks where the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans meet. Oh, okay, cool. So Cape Horn was discovered and first rounded in 1616 by the Dutchman Willem Schuten, who named it after the city of Hoorn in the Netherlands. That's with two O's. <laughs> Hoorn. Yep. Um, and for decades, Cape Horn was a major milestone on the Clipper route um, because sailing ships carried trade around the world and the waters around Cape Horn are particularly hazardous owing mm. to strong winds, large waves, strong currents, and also sometimes icebergs. So oh, yeah. the need for boats and ships to round Cape Horn was actually ended up being greatly reduced when the Panama Canal opened in 1914. Oh, but sure, yeah. sailing around Cape Horn is still widely regarded as one of the major challenges in yachting. And it is believed that more than 10,000 sailors have perished rounding Cape Horn. Oh, my God. See, this is why, again, do not go out into the sea. It is not going to, it's not going to treat you right. It's not for us. (laughs) It's not for us. 
The sea is a dangerous place. How many times do I have to tell you? The whole reason why I started this podcast was to warn you about space and the sea. (laughs) And to teach people the really obscure fashion designers. Exactly. Three things I have written on my whiteboard. (laughs) And also just remember that Cape Horn is one of the great capes. Mm. I will tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. Okay. Um, moving along to another continent, we're going to Africa. Ooh, okay. Where you have the Cape of Good Hope. Yes. Doesn't that sound nice? The Cape it does. of Good Hope. It's a rocky headland on the Atlantic coast of the Cape Peninsula in South Africa. So when following the western side of the African coastline from the equator, the Cape of Good Hope marks the point where a ship begins to travel more eastward than southward. The first modern rounding of the Cape was in 1488 by Portuguese explorer Bartolomeu Diaz, and it was a milestone in the attempts by the Portuguese to establish trade relations with the Far East. A common misconception is that the Cape of Good Hope is the southern tip of Africa. Instead, that is actually Cape Algujas, um, which translates into the Cape of Needles. Um, That's the geographic southern tip of the African continent and the beginning of the dividing line between the Atlantic and Indian Oceans. Mm, Um, The Cape of Good Hope, also called Cape Colony, has also been of special significance to sailors, many of whom refer to it simply as the Cape. So it's a waypoint on the Cape route and the Clipper route followed by ships to the Far East in Australia, and it's still followed by several offshore yacht races. And again, Cape of Good Hope is also one of the Great Capes. Um, uh, Cape of Good Hope is also the official home of the South African Astronomical Observatory up top and the unofficial home of more than 3,500 shipwrecks down below. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) So until the work of the South African Astronomical Observatory began in 1820, the treacherous seas around the Cape of Good Hope saw more than 500 years of ships battering and crashing through the South Atlantic with little to no usable stellar navigation established. Oh my gosh. So without the positions of the southern stars accurately mapped, ships were often on their own in unfamiliar waters or under unfamiliar skies. So the observatory there has done a lot of a lot of work. Oh yeah. You know what? I never even thought about that. Like if you are from a northern hemisphere country and you know how to like guide yourself uh-huh. by the stars, as soon as you cross that equator, Forget you are and literally you cannot You're look anywhere. Down. exactly (laughs) you're like what are we supposed to do again you should not sail yeah but related to that also the cape of good hope is the legendary home of the ship the flying dutchman Ooh, okay crewed by tormented and damned ghostly sailors it's doomed forever to beat its way through the adjacent waters without ever succeeding in rounding the headland Ooh, the flying Dutchman. (laughs) All right. uh, So two of the three great capes are Cape Horn in South America, Cape Mm -hmm. of Good Hope in Africa. And then finally in Australia, you get Cape Leeuwin. That's spelled L-E-E-U-W-I-N. Cape Leeuwin. It is the most southwesterly mainland point of the Australian continent in the state of Western Australia. And in Australia, it is considered the point where the Indian Ocean meets the Southern Ocean. Okay. The War Dandy Aboriginals were the first peoples in the area, and they called it Dugallop. I like that Ooh. name better, but okay. Yeah, me too. Um, the English navigator Matthew Flinders named Cape Lewin after the first known ship to have visited the area. The Lewin, a Dutch vessel, um, that translates to lioness. 
Um, and so that vessel had charted some of the nearby coastline in 1622. So again, that's the third great cape. So I guess yachters like to go around them all. I mean, it's like a big deal if you get around all, if you're able to navigate around all three. I don't know if you have Mm. to do it in the same trip or whatever, but it's a, you know, it's a sign of accomplishment. All right, we did. We haven't talked about Europe yet. So Cape Nordkin, N-O-R-D-K-I-N-N, is the northernmost point on the Nordkin Peninsula in um, Norway. It's on mm. the um, Nordkin Peninsula in Tromsog, Finnmark County, in case you're checking. Um, so that's notable for being the northernmost point of mainland Norway and, by extension, the northernmost point of mainland Europe. Oh, okay. Cape Nordkin. And then... Cabo del Roca, or Cape Roca, is a cape which forms the westernmost point of the Sintra mountain range of mainland Portugal. And so that is the westernmost point of continental Europe and the Eurasian landmass is Cabo de Roca in Portugal. Mm. Oh, cool. Yep. Those are all the ones I wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> did it. Uh, all the capes. All the capes I wanted to talk about. And uh, just some bonus cape info for you. I know we Please. covered a little bit of this at the top. Uh, but the cape of a matador is called a muleta. And it has traditionally Ooh. always been red, but not really for any bull-related reason. So bulls can't see red. They're actually colorblind mm-hmm. to it. But they react to the erratic movement of the cape itself. And that's why they charge. Um Actually, the muleta is actually only used in the final third act of a bullfight. Like they don't just like get in the ring with the with the cape mm-hmm. to start out with. Um, but the matador apparently uses it to hide his sword. And when he pierces the bull as the bull charges past, the cape has been traditionally read to mask the blood stains. I see. I mean, bullfighting terri- is, is a terrible thing. <laughs> it's a terrible sport. We're clearly not condoning this. I'm just letting no. you know. It's information. That was some extra cape info for you. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. So. Thank you. (laughs) Learned about some capes. So this episode was called Come With Me and Escape. Um, Our quiz is called If You Like Pina Coladas and Getting Caught in the Rain. This is a quiz on tropical drinks and films with important scenes that take place during a rainstorm. Uh, For the cocktails, I will give you a brief description and a list of the ingredients, and you will tell me the name of the drink, okay? All right, here we go. Great. I'm going to do good this time. Question one. Victor Bergeron's rum cocktail with a rhyming name. Three-fourths ounce lime juice, half an ounce orange curacao, a quarter ounce orgeat, a quarter ounce simple syrup, two ounces of aged rum. Question two. Without checking the registries, which popular 1994 British rom-com features one of the worst lines of dialogue in film history when, after a climactic kiss with Hugh Grant in the pouring rain, Andy McDowell's character says, Is it raining? I hadn't noticed. Question three. A rum cocktail from New Orleans served in a curvy glass resembling an old-fashioned lamp. Two ounces of light rum, two ounces of dark rum, two ounces of passion fruit juice, one ounce of orange juice, a half an ounce of lime juice, a tablespoon of simple syrup, a tablespoon of grenadine, garnish with an orange slice and a cherry. Question four. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Which 1976 film has news anchor Howard Beale give a rousing, ranting speech on the UBS Evening News, which galvanizes the nation and spurs thousands of people to yell out their windows during a torrential downpour? Question five. Shirley Edward Bulward Lighton's favorite highball cocktail. 
two ounces of Gosling's Black Seal Rum, three ounces ginger beer, lime juice, and optional lime wedge garnish. Question six. During which 1994 film does a banker sentenced to life in prison escape to freedom through a sewer pipe the length of five football fields emerging during an iconic thunderstorm? Question seven. It wasn't named for an Elvis Presley film set on Waikiki. Three quarters of an ounce of vodka, three quarters of an ounce light rum, one ounce sweet and sour mix, three ounces pineapple juice, a half an ounce blue curacao, garnished with a paper umbrella and a pineapple wedge. Question eight. Isla Nublar is the location for which 1993 science fiction movie? During which a tropical storm and industrial sabotage lead doctors Grant, Sattler, and Malcolm, among others, to discover that life indeed finds a way. Question nine. Rhyming fruit and coffee cocktail from the Lucayan Archipelago. One ounce dark rum, half an ounce light rum, half an ounce coffee liqueur, quarter ounce creme de coconut, three quarters of an ounce lemon juice, four ounces of pineapple juice. And finally, question 10. Name me any other song from the 1952 movie musical Singing in the Rain besides the titular song. (laughs) I'll give you about a minute to think about it and then be back with your answers. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to think of some Singing in the Rain songs. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's one of my favorite musicals. Don't tell anyone. All right. Okay. All right. I think... I think I'm... I mean, I'm not going to get them all right, but I think I'm okay. All right. All right. Lay it on me. Number one. Victor Bergeron's rum cocktail with a rhyming name. Three quarters of an ounce lime juice, a half an ounce orange ju- curacao, a quarter ounce orgeat, that's an almond syrup, a quarter ounce simple syrup, and two ounces of aged rum. Um, is that a Bahama Mama? It is not a okay. Bahama Mama. I was, that's the only rum-based rhyming cocktail I know. Okay. I think, I think. I don't know a lot of rum cocktails because I don't love rum. Okay. What is it? This is a me? Mai Tai. Oh, damn it. A Mai Tai. So I didn't even think of that. It was invented by Victor Bergeron, also known as Trader Vic. 
okay. to showcase the pungent flavor of a 17-year-old Jamaican rum. According to legend, after shaking the concoction with ice and presenting the cocktail to some of his visiting Tahitian friends, they ended up liking it so much that one of them exclaimed something that translated to out of this world or the best. So Bergeron ended up christening his new cocktail, Mai Tai, meaning the best. Um, oh. In 2007, the bar at the Merchant Hotel in Belfast, Northern Ireland, achieved notoriety and a 2008 Guinness World Record for selling the most expensive cocktail, a $1,475 Trader Vic's Mai Tai, featuring the original 17-year-old Ray and nephew rum that Bergeron put in his original cocktail. And it sold out in less than a year. So there were enough people what? that decided to buy the world's most expensive cocktail. There's nothing that delicious. Just to say they could. So yeah, Trader Vic is, um, he's kind of a a big personality from California that was really influential in in bringing like tiki culture into into the States and making that a real popular thing. So you'll hear his name pop up a lot when you're you're talking about fruity cocktails and and again, like tiki culture. Mm, Okay, good to know. All right, question two. Without checking the registries, which popular 1994 British rom-com features one of the worst lines of dialogue in film history when, after a climactic kiss with Hugh Grant in the pouring rain, Andy McDowell's character says, is it raining? I hadn't noticed. Ugh. Uh, that's four weddings and a funeral. Yes. You uh, are Andy right. McDowell is also in Magic Mike XXL. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> and she is wonderful in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and also in 2019, Hulu aired the first season of a miniseries that was based on the movie, but now with like more diverse characters than just yeah. all, the, all the old white guys that were in it before, you know? <laughs> yeah. All right. Question three. A rum cocktail from New Orleans served in a curvy glass resembling an old-fashioned lamp. Two ounces light rum, two ounces dark rum, two ounces passion fruit juice, one ounce orange juice, a half an ounce of lime juice, a tablespoon of simple syrup, a tablespoon of grenadine, garnish with an orange slice and a cherry. This sounds like too sweet. (laughs) Yeah. so gross. Um, Is that a rum runner? No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> served in a curvy glass resembling an old-fashioned lamp is that a bahama mama <laughs> those are the only two rum drinks i know <laughs> a curvy glass that looks like a, a ramp a lamp um hurricane oh yeah. hurricane yes! hurricane hurricane it's just a hurricane hurricane <laughs> it was created at pat o'brien i'm gonna count that as a yes yep. <laughs> It was created at Pat O'Brien's bar in the French Quarter of New Orleans during World War II when whiskey was hard to come by. The name for the drink came from the glass it served in, which resembles a hurricane lamp. Mm. All right. Question four. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Which 1976 film has news anchor Howard Beale give a rousing ranting speech on the UBS evening news, which galvanizes the nation and spurs thousands of people to yell out their windows during a torrential downpour? Okay, so I do know this, but I'm I'm not 100% sure of this answer. Uh, I mean, I did know this at one point. Is it called Network? Yes, it is. Yes. Network. Okay. Um, the film won four Academy Awards, including Best Actor for Peter Finch and Best Actress for Faye Dunaway. Nice. Question five. Shirley Edward Bulward Lighton's favorite highball cocktail. Two ounces of Gosling's Black Seal Rum, three ounces of ginger beer, Lime juice, an optional lime wedge garnish. 
Uh, Steve really likes this cocktail. This is a dark and stormy. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, so in the United States, dark and stormy is actually a registered trademark of the Gosling Brothers Limited of Bermuda since 1991. Oh, wow. Because of Gosling Brothers' threat of litigation, some sources use other variations on the name to describe a similar drink, such as a safe mm. harbor. Oh, sure. Hmm. So yeah, if you are going to call it a dark and stormy in the U.S., you have to make it with um, the Gosling's Black Seal Rum. Mm. How about that? Question six. During which 1994 film does the banker sentenced to life in prison escape to freedom through a sewer pipe the length of five football fields emerging during an iconic thunderstorm? Uh, that's Shawshank Redemption. It is. My original like writing of this cl- of this question had like just more clues than would ever possibly be necessary for this question. So I, I edited it heavily, but thank, thank you for, uh, for doing that. <laughs> um, so the sewer pipes contents on camera were actually a mixture of water, chocolate syrup, and sawdust. Ew. Some movie magic for you. Um, the original story for Shawshank Redemption, um, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, appears in the the book's Different Seasons, which is a collection of short books by Stephen King that also includes Apt Pupil, which was filmed as a movie, Apt Pupil in 1998, The Body, which was filmed as Stand By Me in 1986, and also The Breathing Method. Um, that last one is the only short story in that book that has not been adapted into a film. Um, I also thought it was interesting because you see a lot of like cross-pollination in Stephen King's books like he'll mention like a character or a place name or something mm-hmm. like that that shows up in another book the character yeah. Andy Dufresne has a cameo appearance in Apt Pupil where it mentions that Andy had handled the investments for Kurt Dusander the Nazi in hiding so I see. it's yeah it's always fun he, he like it's like a little wink from from, from Stephen, Stephen King, King when he when he hmm. puts a previous character in a book hmm. all right question seven it wasn't named for an Elvis Presley film set on Waikiki. Three-fourths of an ounce vodka, three-fourths of an ounce light rum, one ounce sweet and sour mix, three ounces pineapple juice, a half an ounce blue curacao, garnished with a paper umbrella and a pineapple wedge. Uh, I did not hear this the first time because I, I first wrote Schindler's List as the answer for Shawshank Redemption. Oh. And I was like, that's not right. And then I crossed it out. And then I was like, oh, my God, can I not remember the name of Shawshank Redemption? So this is the first time hearing of this question. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Great. All right. So um, uh, uh, Hawaiian, Hawaii, um, Hawaii a go-go. Is it a go-go? No. I don't know a lot of Elvis Presley movies. Um, Hawaiian. What color do you think this drink is? It's blue. Blue Hawaiian? Blue Hawaii. Blue. It's just, what? Blue Hawaii. Blue Hawaii. I'm going to count that as correct. Yes. <laughs> so the Blue Hawaii cocktail was created at Honolulu's Kaiser Hawaiian Village, which is now the Hilton Hawaiian Village Waikiki Resort in 1957 because a sales representative of the Dutch distiller Bowles asked the bartender Harry Yee to design a drink that featured its blue colored curacao liquor. Okay. Um, Yee named the cocktail that also shares its name with the 1961 Elvis Presley film Blue Hawaii. 
but it is not named for the movie. Um, Curacao liquor is orange flavored with varying degrees of bitterness. It's naturally colorless, but is often given artificial coloring, most commonly blue or orange. And the blue is achieved by adding a food colorant, most often E-133 brilliant blue. Um, The blue Hawaii, not to be confused with the blue Hawaiian, which is basically a pina colada that has a splash of blue curacao. Oh, okay. So the blue Hawaii is apparently a very classic, yeah, different Mm. and very classic um, tropical cocktail. All right. Good to know. All right. Question eight. Isla Nublar is the location for which 1993 science fiction movie during which a tropical storm and industrial sabotage lead doctors Grant, Sattler, and Malcolm, among others, to discover that life indeed finds a way. Uh, this is Jurassic Park. Indeed it is. Yes. And I just wanted to incorporate this because I just learned this. Uh, the Toronto Raptors NBA team, which expanded into the league in 1995, held a contest that had nearly 2,000 entries to determine what their team would be called. And due to the success of Jurassic Park coming out the year before, the winner of the contest was indeed the Raptors, named after the Velociraptors in the movie. Okay. I didn't wow. know that. I didn't know that either. Look at that. (laughs) All right. Question nine. A rhyming fruit and coffee cocktail from the Lucayan Archipelago. One ounce dark rum, half an ounce light rum, half an ounce coffee liqueur, quarter ounce creme de coconut, three fourths of an ounce lemon juice, and four ounces of pineapple juice. Is this the Bahama Mama? It's a Bahama Mama. Yes. 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 Finally, a Bahama Mama. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize it was fruit and coffee. Look, no, I didn't either. So Luke. this drink is rumored to be indirectly named after Dottie Lee Anderson, a Caribbean dancer and performer in the 1930s who also went by the stage name Bahama Mama. And another theory is that this cocktail became popular during Prohibition when the Bahamas were used as a rum smuggling base. So the Bahama Mama is known for having some coffee liqueur in there with your pineapple juice and your rum. Not my favorite, but you know what? Takes all kinds. Yeah. It's okay. All right. And finally, question 10. Name me any other song from the 1952 movie musical Singing in the Rain besides the titular song. Okay. So I have two, and I'm not entirely sure if this is like the official title of the song, but I have Moses or Roses, and I have Good Morning. You did it. Good Morning (laughs) and Moses Supposes are two of the songs. Yeah. From Singing in the Rain. See, Great. here's what I thought would happen here. I thought you were going to breeze one through nine, and then I would give you number 10, a movie musical question, and you would swear at me for several minutes. So I apologize. Joke's on I, you. I, I really underestimated the first you and your, and your movie musical knowledge. Yes, I would have accepted besides Singing in the Rain, the other songs of the movie musical are Fit as a Fiddle, All I Do is Dream of You, Make them laugh. You've probably heard that one. Make them laugh. Make them laugh. Yeah. Um, you were meant for me. Good morning. Like Lauren mentioned, that's the one that's like, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Moses supposes the Broadway melody ballet. You are my lucky star. And would you? Those are the songs from Singing in the Rain. Yep. Um, your girl LT was a big Gene Kelly fan in her teen years and uh, got on a a long kick of watching old movies with uh, Gene Kelly in them. You know where he's from? 
No, where's he from? Pittsburgh. Of course. Also, apparently he was a real asshole. (laughs) But (laughs) danced like a dream. (laughs) So, and so handsome. Great job, Lauren. Thank you, Julia. Um, I'm glad I didn't. I didn't totally blow this entire quiz. Um, so yeah. So uh, thank you to everybody. This is, you know, this is a little quick one. You know, we've been doing a lot of long episodes lately and there's nothing wrong with doing some some quick quick and Two dirty bits. stuff. Yeah, a couple of bits. Um, so thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. Tell a friend. Yeah, Thank you so much to everybody who has left us nice comments and reviews. Yes. <laughs> yes, thank you to everybody. Uh, who has done that and uh, yeah thanks so much for listening guys we'll catch you next time goodbye